Welcome to the Qalam Institute Podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Thamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad wasallam. Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. Imam Al-Qastalani, rahmatullahi alayhi, he says that Adam alayhi salam, he, in his advice, he also told his son, Sheith alayhi salam, he's speaking to his son Sheith, and one of the advices he gave to him was, أَلَّا يَضْعَ هَذَا النُّورِ إِلَّا فِي الْمُطَهِّرَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ He said that, you must promise me that you will not place this nur, but in the most purest of women. Now you're probably wondering, what's this nur that he's talking about, and why is he saying, place this in the purest of women? Sheith salam, as we will discuss at the end of class, is the father of all the prophets. Every prophet that was born, was born through who? Sheith salam. So Adam salam is giving him this advice that be very careful on who you place this nur in. Qabil, one of the beautiful wife, the crime he did, he lost all the barakah. He killed my son Habil, now you're here. So be very careful who you place this nur in. And he gives him this advice. And Imam Qastalani, rahmatullahi alayhi, after that, in that same narration, he says, وَلَمْ تَزَلْ هَذِهِ الْوَصِيَّةُ And this advice, that every father told their child that be very careful where you place your nur was a, was a, was a tradition that every child from Sheith children would tell their child that be very careful who you place your nur in meaning be very careful who you marry right? if you marry someone who has no deen then how do you expect to give birth to Bukhari? how do you expect birth to give, how do you expect to give birth to the Ghazalis of the time and all the other great scholars? so he's saying that if you want the child to be that great, you have to make sure that the person you marry is also of that quality. And he's giving this advice to him. And the end of that narration, it says that, تَنْقُلُ مِنْ قَرْنٍ إِلَىٰ قَرْنٍ إِلَىٰ أَنَّ اللَّهَ نُورٍ إِلَىٰ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ And this tradition of each child, each father advising the child continued on until this nur reached Abdul Muttalib. And from there it reached Abdullah, who was the father, of the Prophet Muhammad And this is a very interesting narration because the Prophet he also said in a hadith as quoted by many scholars, and Ibn Abbas quotes it, Imam Bayhaqi narrates in his sunan, the Prophet said, Kulluna min nikah la min sifah. Every one of my forefathers was born in marriage, no one was ever born outside wedlock. No one was ever born outside wedlock. And why is the Prophet saying this? Why is no one ever born outside wedlock? Because Children born outside wedlock, obviously in comparison to children that are born in wedlock, are going to lack in that barakah, that natural barakah that's there, that extra spiritual ability. Now it's not the child's fault, but it's the parent's responsibility. A lot of, the, a lot of, what, the child, a lot of what children experience in their life are not, is, has little to do with the child's fault, and is more to do with the parenting of the parents. Okay, you guys understand that? Many children don't have, the, don't have the habit of praying salah. It's not necessarily the child's fault that the child doesn't know how to pray salah or doesn't pray salah. It's the parent's fault. And similarly, this is one of those things that children born outside of wedlock, they have, um, they, th- th- that barakah aspect is missing. 
But that doesn't mean that the child is doomed forever. A person can make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in this situation, we're talking about prophethood. And this isn't just anything, this is just the best of the best of the best. And this is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is saying that. Another reason why the Prophet is saying that every one of my forefathers was born in marriage and not outside marriage is because he's making reference to some incident that happened during Sheif alayhi salam's time, which I'm going to come to very soon. Now, Imam Tabari rahmatullahi alayhi in his tarikh, as a part of this wasiyah, he also says that Adam alayhi salam told his son Sheif that you must not he made him write down the wasiyah, write down what I told you. And he, after he wrote it all down, He gave that written wasiyah down to Sheith And he said to him, He said to him, don't share this advice of mine, this wasiyah of mine, these instructions of mine with Qabil and his children. Don't share it with them. Right? Now why did... Adam salam tell Sheith salam not to share this wasiyah with Qabil and his children. Well, there are many reasons given, many reasons. Uh, one reason itself that's in the narration is that because um, Qabil and his children disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Adam salam not giving them that knowledge was to tell them that if you want knowledge, you have to do tawbah and come here. Knowledge isn't given to sinners. If you're going to disobey Allah and live this bad life, you're not deserving of knowledge. You're not muta'ahl of knowledge. And if you want knowledge, you have to do tawbah, make a istighfar, come and live under your brother Sheith salam, who is a prophet of Allah, and that's when you'll get your ilm. That's one reasoning. The other reason why the scholars, they say that Adam salam told Sheith to not share this information with Qabil, is because Sheith salam is going to be the father of prophets. And we already know what Qabil did for women. And if he found out that who was going to give birth to the child, it was very possible he'd come and kill Sheith salam too. Just as he previously killed his brother Habib. So Sheith salam did not share this. Now, after Adam salam passed away, Sheith salam becomes now the ruler and is also a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, there are many things that Sheith salam did during his life. Imam Waqidi rahmatullahi alayhi says that Sheith salam was the first person to build the Kaaba. Now this may be a little confusing to you because you may recall a few weeks back I mentioned that the first person to build the Kaaba was Adam salam. So there are two interpretations of this. First of all, that narration that I mentioned a few weeks back is also established. It's by Ibn Ishaq. Ibn Ishaq and others, they say that the first person, inna Adama awwalu man banaha, the first person to build the Kaaba was Adam salam. And according to the narration of Waqidi, he's saying the first person to build the Kaaba was Abshith salam. The tatbiq or the way to find an agreement between both these narrations is to say that Adam salam, when he built the Kaaba, he only built a tent around there, he didn't build brick by brick. He set the foundations, there was a tent there, there was a khayma there, and that's where they came in the tawaf of, and by the way, this is all in the narrations by the way. Okay? They say that he came and he built a tent in that area, instructing people this is where the Kaaba is, and then Sheith salam came and built this, the, 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 the Kaaba itself. But again, if you remember last time, last week I told you that um, Adam salam built it, Stone by stone, I said Adam salam dug and Hawa put the stones there and together they built it and then the, the angels brought the black stone, if you remember. So these are two opinions on the issue, who was the first person to build the Kaaba. Um, some say it was one, some say it was another. It's something that there's a lot of ikhtilaf in and maybe we'll, discover, we'll discuss this in a lot more detail under, under the story of Ibrahim salam. Because he is also mentioned in the Quran as the one, Yarfa'u Ibrahim al-Qawa'idah min al-Bayt, the one who built the, 
the, the foundations of the Kaaba. Now Qabil and his people began to do a lot of evil. There were two groups now. There was Sheith and his people, and Qabil and his people. The people who lived with Qabil were all... Um, they were, these are people who were disobedient to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and his messengers, Adam alayhi salam, and Sheith alayhi salam. And those who were obedient all lived under Sheith alayhi salam. So these were two groups right here. And Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he actually um, states this with a, with a lot of um, beauty, uh, as Imam Tabari rahmatullahi alayhi narrates in his tariq, under the tafsir of the ayah, وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَا تَبَرُّجَ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ الْأُولَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the women that do not... Um, display your beauty. Do not display your beauty like the earlier generations did that. You know this idea of tabarruj, Allah is saying don't do that. One thing I found very interesting is that not, not too long ago I was driving and I saw a store called tabarruj. I was like, what is going on? Why would someone name a store tabarruj when the Quran is saying exactly not to do that? The Quran is saying that, don't do that. Do not, you know, tabarruj is an idea of displaying your beauty. And not just displaying your beauty, but your, a lack of modesty, you know, inappropriateness. That's what tabarruj actually is. And Allah is, when connotating that ayah, tabarruj, Allah is saying jahiliyyah. What is Allah adding to the word tabarruj in the Quran? Jah, this is ignorance. And this, under the tafsir of this ayah, وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَا تَبَرُّجَ الْجَاهِلِيَةِ الْأُولَى Ibn Abbas عنه, he explains tafsir. He says, that from the children of Adam alayhi salam, كَانَ أَحَدُهُمَا يَسْكُنُ السَّهَلْ وَالْآخِرُ يَسْكُنُ الْجَبَلْ that from the children of Adam salam, there were those who lived in the mountains, and then there were those who lived in the plain field. In the plain field. There were those who lived in the mountains, and there were those who lived in the plain field. وَكَانَ رِجَالُ الْجَبَلْ سِبَاحًا وَفِي النِّسَاءِ دَمَامَةٌ وَكَانَ النِّسَاءُ السَّهَلِ سِبَاحًا وَفِي الرِّجَالِ دَمَامَةٌ That the, those who lived in the mountains were who? Sheith salam and his people. Those who lived in the flat area, who were they? Qabil and his people. Now the narration of Ibn Abbas says that the difference between these two were the guys in the mountains were very beautiful but the women weren't so beautiful. And the women who lived in the plain area were beautiful but their men were not so beautiful. The men were who? Qabil. And the women were who? The, the wife who was supposed to be the wife of Habil. And we all know she was a very beautiful lady. So the ones who lived in the mountain, the men were beautiful but the women were not so beautiful. And those who lived in the plain land, their women were very beautiful, but the men were not so beautiful. So then he says, what happened was, وَإِنَّ إِبْلِيسَ أَتَى رَجُلًا مِّنْ أَهْلِ السَّهْلِ فِي سُورَةِ غُلَامٍ فَآجَرَ نَفْسَهُ مِنْهِ وَكَانَ يَخْدُمُهُ That Iblis came in the form of a human being. Iblis came in the form of a human being to the people who lived in the plain area, the Maidan. And the, whose, whose tribe is this now? Qabil's. And he said to him, can I please work for you? Now, this person said, okay, go ahead, work. So this, now, this person was a goldsmith. And Iblis started working for him. وَاتَّخَذَ إِبْلِيسَ لَعْنَهُ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا مِثْلَ الَّذِي يَزْمِرُ فِيهِ الرِّعَاءُ And um, um, Iblis, he made like a flute. He made a flute, like a musical instrument. فَجَاءَ فِيهِ بِصَوْتٍ لَمْ يَسْمَعُ النَّاسِ مِثْلَهُ and he started blowing in there. And Shaitan, we know Iblis was a very skilled person. And when he started blowing in this, uh, in, this, in this flute, with this beautiful voice, the people begin to hear a sound that they had not heard before. And you have to remember, this is the beginning of mankind. Okay? So they're now hearing a sound that they haven't heard before. فَبَلَغَ ذَلِكَ مَنْ حَوْلَهُمْ Everyone heard this. 
وَانْتَابُوهُمْ يَسْبَعُونَ إِلَيْهِ People gathered around so they could hear him um, do his thing. وَاتَّخَذُوا عِيدًا يَجْتَمِعُونَ إِلَيْهِ فِي السَّنَةِ They took one day of the year to be the day that everyone would gather and he would play his musical instrument. Kind of like the conference, the festival. Right? The one day where everyone gathered and he would be on the stage and all the lights and all the, the mist and steam would be there and he'd come out with his flute and guitar and go nuts on the stage. And everyone started listening to him. Now what happened was, some of the people from the mountains heard the noise. They heard the big concert going on down there. They said, what's going on? So Sheetha said to them, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited us from mixing with them. We should not mix with them. They need to come and do tawbah. This is all one big family by the way, so the rulings are a little different. That they need to come and do tawbah, and uh, until they don't do tawbah, there's no mixing between the two. But these people protested and they argued, they said that well, they are family members at the end of the day, and we can hear something that sounds very nice, and they came down and they heard the music, and it really just amazed them. And the mu music has that impact. It amazes people, because it's, it's a sound that most human beings can't produce. And when there's something that you can't produce, when you hear someone else producing it, and it's soft on the ears, and it has a soft effect on the heart, then you can imagine people will be um, looted in by that. So, the people, they begin to hear the music and they came in. And when they came and heard the music, they saw this big festival going on, this concert, and they began to sway with the music. You know how people sway with it? They kind of, like a, a light dance, they began to do that. Now when the people, from this, um, the plain area, when the women saw these beautiful men coming, they were like, oh my God, we've been stuck with all these ugly guys for so long, it's time to upgrade. So what they did in order to upgrade was, they started doing tabarruj. What does tabarruj mean? Exposing themselves. They started dressing very inappropriately. And this is the first time the scholars say that the hist history witnessed um, human beings dressing in a seductive manner to attract the attention of a non-husband. You know, attracting the attention of your husband is one thing, but just losing your modesty, publicly coming and displaying yourself, like what's happened in today's world. Today's world, when you walk around and you see people displaying themselves, you ask yourself, is there anything left of modesty? What would happen to people of civilization? You know, people, let's not even talk about the Prophet's time or the Companion's time, that's way back. Let's just talk about what if the founders of this country the founding fathers of this country were to come and see the way the children of this country are dressing today. You are you guys following the point that I'm saying? George Washington's hair were turned from black to white, white to black, black to white five times. He'd go crazy, what's going on here? You know, people were like, what is going on here? Look at the way human beings are dressing. And I'm not saying inappropriateness didn't exist then. It did exist. Inappropriateness has existed from the time of Sheetha alayhi salam until, until current day. But what's happened in the past few days is insane. It is unbelievable. Um, I read an article this week. There was an article that I saw that one of the most famous, um, one of the most famous, what's the correct Vulgar magazines that existed. You know, everyone's heard of this particular magazine. It's, if there's one magazine everybody knows of for its inappropriateness, it's this one magazine, okay? This particular magazine, they've officially plan to change the direction of their magazine and they won't be posting nude images anymore. So I was reading the article on it, it was very interesting. And the reason why they said that they would stop posting nude images, and this is like the most famous magazine in the world. And the reason why they're stopping to post their nude images is because they said that we've lost control of nudity since the internet exists. And for us to think that we can control nudity in our magazines is losing, we're losing revenue, so we're not even going to try to keep up with the race anymore. 
Now imagine the forefathers of the industry are saying that we've lost control. Are you guys understanding the point here? Are you, I feel like saying that company's name so badly. Something boy, okay? Now this particular company is saying that we've lost control of the industry. We can't control it anymore. This is exactly what they're saying. And when I read that, I was like, oh my God, we're in a lot of trouble. Right? Where I know one door of fitness is closed. Not like anyone reads the magazines anyway. But the idea that they're saying that we lose because the influence and the reach of nudity has gone so far that we can't control it anymore. A very sad state that we're in. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in the Quran, وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَا That do not make this mistake. It was because of this lewdness and this, um, this nakedness, this dancing, this music. When all of this was put together, these people committed a very big mistake. They committed a mistake that is so common today, but it started off then. It was called zina. The first acts of zina were committed during the time of Sheetha And they happened because of everything that was put together. The music took over their emotions. The dancing was seductive. The garments were out of control. And when you put all of that together in one pot, what happens is, Saturday night, Friday night, go to a club and most of those people end up in a hotel. Do you understand? They call it a one-night stand. And there was so much zina that happened at that point. And, the, and the, some, some scholars, they say, this is the first collective sin committed by mankind. All the other sins that were committed before this were all individual sins. Qabil, individual sin. Adam salam, his mistake was individual. This is the first collective sin that everyone, that these people, they committed together. Now, what did, what did um, Sheath do about this? What did Sheath do about this? Some scholars, they say he gave da'wah to them, he tried to work with them. Some narrations even mention that he waged war against them. Wallahu alam, we do know that obviously he did try to do da'wah and try to convince them. A part of it did work, a part of it didn't work. And these people, they were so far gone, they were so lost, that Imam Tabari in his tariqh, he mentions that not only were these people immoral, these people had actually started, right then was the beginning of worshipping other than Allah too. It started then. Not that, not that they were actually worshipping other than Allah, but you know that reminisce that started off the, the breadcrumbs, it started right there. And he says that Iblis came to Qabil and said to him, Iblis came to Qabil and said to him, that you know when you and your brother both, present, both presented your sacrifice? You guys remember that? They both presented, one got accepted, one didn't. And if you remember, I told you then, how did they know who's got accepted? What happened? A fire came and consumed it. So Iblis said to them, that Iblis said to Qabil, that you know why the fire consumed your brother's sacrifice? It's because he had a very close relationship with the fire. You should start building that relationship with the fire too. And Imam Tabari says that this is where, uh, and he used to serve the fire. So now you should start. And then after that, that's where um, um, Qabil, he then begins to give extra attention to fire and begins to view it as something holy. Now there's no proof that he actually worshipped it. There's no proof that he did kufr. Wallahu alam. But what we do know is that he started revering it in a very extra ordinary, extra natural way, what was happening. And then after this, Ibn Abbas says that the children of Qabil, they increased in number, they increased in number. And it was these children of Qabil to who Nuh was sent. You know, Nuh he came and spent a thousand years with the people. It was to these people. He came to the people of Qabil. And it was these very same people, these people of Qabil, 
who were destroyed in the flood of Nuh They were all destroyed. And the people that were on the boat with Nuh were the children of Sheath And that's why I said earlier that that's why all the prophets, their lineage come back to who? Sayyidina Sheath Now after Sheath passed away, he aged and he fulfilled his cycle of life. When he passed away, where was he buried? Now the scholars differ in great opinion. And they, they, they differ greatly in opinion. The most common opinion is, and as I mentioned to you guys regarding the death of Adam salam, that no prophet's grave can ever be proven with authenticity of its exact location other than the prophet Muhammad No other prophet's proof grave can be established with absolute authenticity. So that's the first thing and I want you guys to know that. However, regarding where is he buried, some scholars they say that he is buried next to Adam and Hawa. So wherever they're buried, he was a third buried with them. And that seems to be the more appropriate and more correct opinion. Now where is that location? Now you can go back to the story where I shared regarding Adam salam, and you'll find uh, all those opinions on where they were buried. Those opinions would apply here too if you take that particular approach. The second opinion is that he's not buried with his parents. And if he's not buried with his parents, he's buried in a separate place. Again, a large list of opinions on where he's buried. One of the common opinions is that he's buried close to today what is known as Masjid Al-Khayf. Anyone know where Masjid Al-Khayf is? It's in Mina. Yeah, it's extension of Makkah, right there in Mina. You know when you go to stone the Jamarat, there is a masjid there, and there, the, the tour guide will always tell you many prophets are buried here. So they say Sheith salam was also buried there. Wallahu alam islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows, to, allows us to learn from these beautiful lessons that we take from Sheith salam's story. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us from the evils that were started from the period of Qabil, music and lewdness and inappropriateness and zina and nudity and pornography these are things that destroy societies these are things that destroy people these are things that keep people who are so close to Allah just two curtains away you know if you tear these two curtains down for the average young person you will become the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but these two curtains are very tough some failed Qabil and his crew some passed Sheith alayhi salam and his followers. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to be with the righteous and pious. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.